G'day everyone, Craig from People With A Passion. Today I'm joined by Mike McDaniel, who's an athlete who came out to Australia about 25 years ago as a professional basketballer who played in one of our regional leagues and he was a journeyman um, across a number of teams. And then at the ripe young age of 41, when he looked to retire from the game as a professional, he then decided that his professional athletic career wasn't over and decided to jump in the cage and become an MMA fighter. So today we're going to be talking about sport and everything in between, family, faith. Welcome to the show, mate. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so pumped. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So let's start. uh, We won't start too young. So we'll start around where you started to find a love for your first, you know, sport, which was basketball. So where'd that all start for you? Kentucky, North Harden High School. Uh, my father was a lieutenant colonel in the army. We moved probably five years. Uh, for the first 15 years, uh, we moved five times. We lived all throughout Europe, uh, different parts of the mainland, part of the United States. And when I came to Kentucky, we had just moved from Germany. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been introduced to basketball, but it wasn't a big thing. It was just something to do. Coming to Kentucky, that was just the mecca. It was a culture. And I absolutely fell in love with the uh, basketball. This guy named Tim Riley, Ron Bevers, and uh, they sort of were my coaches back then. And uh, I just, I just took a great love for the sport. Mm. So you had a number of people in your life early, some close siblings and things that also helped you with your basketball journey. Do you want to speak to those? Yeah, my brother taught me. My brother and sister pretty much taught me every sport. Um, my brother was a, he would have been a great coach. He's the kind of person that he could read something and he'd be like, all right, Mike, let's go out. Mm-hmm. And he would teach me how to play baseball, football, how to run properly, how to dribble, everything. My sister was amazing because here I am, I'm like six years younger than her and she was all Europe in every sport. She was all Europe in volleyball, basketball, track and field, uh, softball, you know, and she got a number, uh, actually retired for Hanau High School, number 32, which mm. is because of Magic Johnson. She loved Magic Johnson. So my family, and then you go to my, my father, who was a lieutenant colonel in the Army, African-American in 1977, unheard of. He was probably one of seven. Then my mother, who uh, I'm very proud I'm, 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 As you can tell, I'm proud of my family. Yeah. Uh, my, my mother just graduated high school, but she got several banking degrees. And uh, then she ended up being a general manager of uh, the bank, is, which is close to a CEO. Then she retired. She's doing lovely. So, you know, people had Michael Jordan and whoever else to look up to. I had no further to look than my mother's and father's bedroom or my, my, my brother's bedroom or my sister. I just go and talk to them. I had heroes all around me all the time. Yeah, and you had... Uh brothers and sisters of your parents who you also looked up to that were quite successful too uh, who were some of those people that inspired you as well that were in your immediate family well my my uncle bubby he mm-hmm. was a judge uh james bubby mcdaniel uh he could have gone on to be uh, uh in the in the supreme court but he decided to retire his sister my brother's uh sorry my my father's sister eleanor she was a head nurse back in the day so everybody was a, a striving to be something amazing and then the shirt that i'm wearing of course Tavares, my uncle ralph and his brothers they 
they lit up the world with their records and they worked uh, they uh, had a, ca- a contract with Capitol Records and they're touring now it's 78 years old mm. they've been down to UK to Chile um, they got some more dates coming up I'm trying to get them here to Australia so when you're witnessing all that you just have that constant ambition that like you think anything's possible not everyone's that fortunate to have those role models mm. um, with an African-American heritage so one thing I noticed about you, we had a brief stint where we played together for about six games, probably a decade ago. And I remember losing the game. And I remember at the end of that game, the competitiveness and how upset you were that we actually lost the game. And it was quite a frightening moment for a lot of us. Could have <laughs> cut the air with a knife. But I think it was my first experience of, of how competitive um, you are and were as an athlete. Yep. But... It's also something that is instilled in you from a young age as an African, a young African-American man, because the world is a fight. It is a fight. And you were saying that for many, including yourself, sometimes you understood that this is an out for, from a bad situation for many yeah. African-Americans that you didn't want to like end up working at McDonald's. Yes, you had the mentors, but that wasn't a guarantee for an African-American man that he was going to have that same journey unless he actually made a decision to do something with his life well i saw my father and my mother they got up every day and they worked hard you know um a little story that uh we probably didn't go over but um during vietnam my father met uh, my mother in hawaii for an r and r to get away from vietnam he's gonna have to go back but uh, he decided right there and then i'm gonna retire in hawaii i'm gonna build a big old house on the hill and uh he did it Mm-hmm. He got his house by uh, 1995, yeah, and he retired with my mother there. And uh, yeah, he passed away in 2006, but he did everything he said he was going to do. And so, even though I am African American, um, mentality, I was given kings the keys to the kingdom mm-hmm. because nothing was going to stop. You know, my father's boy, my mother's boy. Yeah. They were going to make sure that I saw every avenue for mm-hmm. what it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, be that example. Because I know when some of the Australian athletes go over and, and get scholarships in U.S. colleges, mm. so one of the things that I've heard from athletes, obviously with a basketball background and coaching myself, that some of these athletes go over there and they don't understand until they arrive how competitive it actually is to get minutes in those programs. Mm. And it's often the athletic African-Americans who are actually highly competitive that are pushing them out of the spot. So... Uh, for a lot of those athletes, their futures and their families' futures may well depend on their success in college, yeah? Well, you know, there's a famous actor, and I think, you know, we talked about this before. We've talked so much in probably the last 48 hours that, you know, I feel like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm repeating myself. But it's great story. Tony Curtis, mm-hmm. he was an actor, and uh, he's actually auditioning actors for a part. And an actor came in, and he said, hold on. Do you want to be an actor, or do you need to be an actor? And the guy said, I need to be an actor. I have no food. I have, I'm have. i desperate. I mean, he just basically almost got on his knees. He didn't even do the audition. Tony Curtis said, not, nah, you're the man I want. We'll go over the, over the lines later. That's how it is for basketball. Um, Australians, when they go over and play, and they think it's going to be some club type of atmosphere, it's life and death. You have people that are waking up with water in the refrigerator with an apple, or and they got like six siblings. You know, mm. eight in eight, eight in a in a house that, you know, with a two bedroom house with one with one bathroom. You're waking up that every to that every day. 
the ambition, it grows like the hunger that's coming inside your stomach. You know what I mean? You have to make it. You have to be somebody. Or if you don't make it in America, you're either somebody or you're a nobody, which is sad. But I knew I wasn't going to be a nobody. I'm a McDaniel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you managed to get a professional gig, paid gig here in, it was then the Continental Basketball Association. Do you want to talk about which clubs you played for out here in Australia and also opportunities that you may have had um, in your earlier career um, with like trials with NBA and stuff like that? Yeah, well, uh, yep. You know, I, sometimes I forget about that because I, I don't really like to talk about something I never made, mm-hmm. but I, at least I got the trial for it. So we won a national championship in 1993, the only national championship for Hawaii for, for Hawaii for Hawaii Pacific University. And uh, I had a friend named David Smith. He came to play for the Bundaberg Bulls in 94. Mm-hmm. And he told them all about me. You know, I was a great rebounder, great defensive person. Really wasn't getting a lot of leads to go play. I had a couple of stints in Russia um, and uh, in, the Seattle, in, the, in the Pacific Leagues and things like that, but nothing big. And then um, Lori Green uh, out of Ipswich, and I'll, I'll forever be indebted to this man. We sort of had a following out, but, you know, I was young, and mm-hmm. I didn't understand things. But uh, he's, he's, he, he brought me out here, and I had a terrible first season. Oh, my gosh. I came over here with just all this bravado, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to set the world on fire, and I think I averaged 11 points a game. And I just remember I got cut, and... Uh, I was real angry. I was real angry, and I went home. And I remember what Larry Bird did when he lost in 1985 to the Lakers. He worked every day for three months, eight hours a day. And what did he do in 1986? They won the world championship. So when I came back, I came back in 97 and 98, and I was pretty much being laughed at. And, you know, I got introduced, and people were like, they got this guy again, and da-da-da-da. And uh, that year I got MVP for, for the Burdick and Wildcats. So... I had that opportunity, and then um, I just love the culture of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, when what, I, are, what other clubs? Because you had about five or six. Yeah, went, so I, I started with Ipswich, and then went to Burdekin. Then um, when I came back, I played for Ipswich again, but they were called The Force. Mm-hmm. And then um, I went from there to Maruchidor, then from Maruchidor to the Brisbane Capitals, from the Capitals to Northside Wizards, from Northside Wizards to Toowoomba. And uh, that was my that was it for me in uh, two thousand and nine. Mm, that's a that's a pretty long journey, and and obviously your value was seen across the league for clubs to be picking you up as as an import. So you made the decision to move on from the sport, but then at the age of that was around the age of forty forty one, and it took a few of us by surprise. Uh, you're announcing that you're going to have a crack at uh, MMA fighting. So yep. it's more or less starting all over again. What was the driving force behind that? What in- motivated you to do that? Basketball here in Australia is booming. But at that time, I was disenchanted with basketball, mm-hmm. not with any particular clubs or just with it was a crossroad for me. And I'm competitive. I didn't want to just relegate myself to coaching and things that I would probably take, uh, I would resent mm-hmm. later, knowing that I could have probably done something else with my energy. So I was sitting there watching uh, UFC Tonight with Joe Rogan, and BJ Penn was on, and he's from Hawaii. I was missing Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I was really mm-hmm. missing the culture and the, and the, and the aina and the ohana, ohana 
So I just really paid attention to it. And BJ Penn's amazing. He's an amazing fighter, amazing man. And something just said, Mike, you could do this. And I was wrestling with myself. I was fighting with myself. I was like, no, you can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike, you can do this. No, nah, man, don't do it. Don't do it, Mike. You're a basketball player. But eventually, I called up Peter Hickmont. Mm-hmm. He, Peter Hickmont's a UFC. He's not only start has a big deal to do with MMA here, but uh, he's a UFC ref. Yeah, great guy, great family man, and uh, he sort of uh, gave me my first steps in MMA. Mm-hmm. Now you're not a short person by any measure, I know, because I stand next to you. Yeah, I'm short, <laughs> but uh, you're what about 198 centimeters or something? I'm only 195. I'm shrinking when you get older. <laughs> I was 196 when I got to Australia. I'm about 195 and a half now. Okay. But my reach is about 210 centimeters. Mm, so I, I, could, I could pretty much scratch my feet standing straight up. Mm. I saw your um, highlights, some of the highlights of some of the fights you've had, amateur and professional. And I, one of the things that you can clearly identify is your reach is quite good compared to some of the people that you're up against and you like to fight standing up from what i've seen early days yeah i hate the i hate the ground but i'm getting better at it yeah i I love to stand and i said you you seem to be good at staying in the middle and avoiding the cage and the and the ground and and can get back to a stance um when you're on the ground quite quite good but your reach seems to be a real strength from what i've seen yeah i'm not i'm not a don't know the first thing about mma so you're educating me tonight you mentioned when we're speaking off air in the last couple of days that as a young person in Hawaii, you there was a culture around if you got into a fight, it wasn't swinging arms and unpredictable fighting. It was guys mm. could square up and actually fight. So your ability to fight standing up actually came from your days as a... It's just what player. I observed. Like mm. when I came, when I was living in Kentucky and I lived in you know Europe and things like that, there wasn't any rhythm to anybody's dance. There wasn't any good f- footwork. It was just like hell bent for leather. Mm-hmm. You come to Hawaii, whoo, people really know how to get down. They don't really like to fight in Hawaii. That's what people think under need to understand. People in Hawaii, they love to just relax. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just chill. But if you got a scrap going on, they don't pull out guns, knives. It's get out in the back, take the slippers off, mm-hmm. and let's go for it. And I saw the 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 head movement and the and they were, you know, doing all that and I was like, Wow and yeah, so when you see people like you know Max Holloway and B.J. Penn, and these are probably people you, you, you wouldn't know of yet, but you will. Um, yeah, those that that took a big impact on me as far as how people in Hawaii really they're passionate about everything: their sports, their fighting, their women, their men, their culture, their language, mm. everything. Hawaii is a beautiful place to grow up in. Yeah, so you start at forty-one, and it is starting more or less from scratch. So, what's your journey been to becoming? a not just an amateur mma fighter you have had pro fights and won a pro fight uh but what's the process for learning all the different aspects of mma when you haven't had that background and you're coming up against young people at times and and who actually have you know been maybe doing it longer than you yeah and it surprises me because when you're coming up against guys that have been doing it forever it'd be like them you know, coming from jujitsu and let's play a game on -on one-on-one in basketball. But I sort of, I'm a competitive person. And how it started was when I was living in Warwick, there was taekwondo and there was boxing. I was already pretty much okay with boxing Mm -hmm. and I didn't want, you know, to be taught new, new, new things. So I, I just really wanted to get on the ground, but there was nothing out in Warwick. 
So I became like the YouTube king. Mm -hmm. Seriously, like I have a friend that used to train me, tra uh, train me named Reese Karakariokis. He's a uh, he's a Greek fella, and uh, he would ask me like, "How'd you learn how to do this? YouTube? How'd you learn how to do this?" Because there was nobody there. So before Ben Pepper got to Warwick, mm -hmm. it was just me in the gym with make believe, <laughs> with make believe opponents on the mat. And I remember I was a, a board supervisor. And the kids would look at me like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm training, you know? Yeah. And then when I said I was going to fight, and then I, I was always training on my own. And I'd always shadow shadow box. And, and then I didn't have anybody to really spar against. And I was always just out on my own. So when the fights would come, I would just pick somebody to be, my, to be in my corner. Pick a cut man. And the MMA community is amazing. Mm. They would just be like, hey, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I'd go out and have my fight. Mm, that's awesome and that's something the culture there i'm not familiar with as well but one thing i noticed that when you enter the arena or the cage probably the same word but i think you call it a cage yeah the cage <laughs> the cage um you have a theme song that you play mm. called awesome god yes Faith is also part of your uh, approach to the way you fight. And it's a little bit different to others because other people might be listening to music that fires them up like rap music or yep. or heavy metal or whatever it is that gets them um, going. Why, why the hymns and things like that? When I was listening to like metal and I was listening to rap and Tupac and Biggie, yeah, you want to kill somebody, but it's not... It's not the same in fighting. The the person that's the most calm, the person that can think and keep their strategies, the person that's going to win. And a lot of times when I would, I'd still have that same anxiety. I'd have that same anxiety. I'd be sweating all day listening to that mm -hmm. music. And I just happened to cut onto one of my hymns. And I felt so comfortable. And I felt like the Lord was with me. And you really need that. You look at David and Goliath. You think David fought Goliath without having God in his heart? Mm -hmm. No way. So going into something that big, when I'm concentrating on the hymns and I'm concentrating on the scripture that's being sung to me, it just really washes over me. And I have such a belief and a comfort. I know God's with me and nothing can hurt me. I noticed too that before entering the ring that you are hugging everyone and it almost like that you are saying a goodbye. Because <laughs> yep. so you understand the seriousness of of this. One of the things I noticed in instances where you've one by knockout, um, that your and, and that your care and concern for the other person is genuine, and and athletes in that particular sport tend to run to each other's aid the moment they're knocked out to make sure that everything's okay. Well, not all. I mean, if you look at um, the last fight with Ben Askren and Jorge Masvidal, that was. Um a pretty big one. Uh, Jorge knocked him out with a knee okay. with five seconds and then he was out cold and he was still giving it to him. Mm. You know what I mean? For me, the fight's over. The, to me, the fight's over before it really begins. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't have any animosity towards that person. I know I have a job to do. Whereas before, that was the biggest thing that held me back. You know, I, I couldn't hurt anybody. You know, and my, my trainers used to, my corner used to be like, you had him and you just let him go. 
Yeah. You know, I just like, I'm so sorry because you have to really, you know, you look at the National Geographics and you, when you when the cubs are learning to be lions and they're 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 learning to have their first kill and the, and the mothers are bleeding them and things like that. Mm. That was like my first six years. Yeah. I've only been in this for six years. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I got the fastest knockout. Um, and um, I got a pretty good respect around MMA just for what I can do with these. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm having I'm I'm at the point where I'm um, gonna retire, but I know I've done some good things in MMA. Because you you had the quickest knock out in XFC history to date. Yes. And and I think it was like fifth. What was it? Fifteen seconds. Or Eleven seconds. Eleven seconds. And I did it the week after Conor McGregor did. Uh, he beat uh, Aldo in 13 seconds, and I did it exactly the same way. The video shows that, too. Let's go down under Victoria, Australia, and it's Michael McDaniel. Yeah, McDaniel, the first nice straight that he missed was already showed that he has a good straight punch. And then the second one he connected. He's 46 years old. Wow. Look at this guy. Yeah, he looks great. Mm. So... That that's something that's good to have uh, until someone else may get it. But yep. that eleven seconds is pretty bloody quick. And it surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> so sure, it surprised the opponent yep. at, the, at the same time. That whole uh, process of going into that environment. What's the preparation that you're doing mentally to to enter the ring or the cage? I think most fighters they just try to make sure that they're cardiovascularly fit. Because once you lose that, it's literally like drowning in water. Um, I also try to make sure that I've got enough rounds in. I try to make sure that I've covered every scenario, which for me is just getting back to my feet or getting into the cage where I can get back to my feet. A lot of the fighters try to get me down in the middle of the cage, so I'd have to scoot to the cage and, and things like that. So I just try to work on everything. If I have eight weeks, I work on my cardio. I work on my stand-up wrestling, jujitsu, but the last two weeks before a fight, I just try to relax, mm -hmm. just try to get back into regular life. I know I have a fight coming, mm -hmm. you know, but um, I, I don't let it get in the middle of what I'm doing with uh, my daughters yeah. or I don't let it interfere with my work or anything like that because I used to, a fight can be so consuming. It's like, it's almost like a wedding day for a woman. Mm. It really is. Uh -huh. The whole day's about you. Yeah. So... Now your work, you just touched on. You know this. This is part of something you you do. Yep. But you you do have day jobs and things like that. So your history's with youth, working with youth. I did work, and I still do twenty five years worth of youth work. Mm -hmm. And what I would do is um, basketball supplemented. I n I never made a lot of money playing basketball, but I made enough so that I didn't have to pay for my fees and it it had some income. And then I would also uh, do my youth work on, on, on top of that. And it was really good because the kids would come to your games. They could see your family. They could see your life outside of their, of their household and their own life. And, um, you know, 20 years later, you know, you have some kid coming up to you going, Mr. McDaniel, do you remember me? This is my wife. And these are my two kids. And I'm going, no. <laughs> and But it's the best paycheck you could ever have because a lot of the kids that came up to me they were on a bad road mm. and i'm always gravitated towards bad kids mm -hmm. not you know and i really wasn't i don't have a bad history or a record of a of a growing up like that mm. but i know they need the most help they're screaming out 
mm-hmm. know, when they're acting out like that, they're really screaming, I want to be loved, and I know I, re- I respond to that. Now, this um, short career, because you're saying you're going to be retiring, but you have yep. indicated that you are looking to fight at 50, getting in the ring again. Yep. Now, interestingly, you've fought across a whole heap of weight divisions, trying to find that ideal weight, I guess. Do you want to talk about what you've done in the past as far as um, weight divisions and how your recent visit to Hawaii had your trainers yeah. <laughs> panicked a little? Yeah, well, um, I when I first started, I was like 113 kilos. You know, so I started at heavyweight, and then as I kept getting in shape and my skills kept uh, increasing, I went to light heavyweight, which is 93. And then I started thinking, hey, I have an advantage. You know, I'm taller. At 85, I can always sort of weigh in, get back to 93, be bigger. But I'll tell you, man, it's really the divisions are really tough across the board. You know what I mean? And 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 when when I went to Hawaii, I went to Hawaii for 10 weeks. And I was over there, and I got to go do some training with uh, in the UFC gyms over there and things like that. And the standard, and I, I'm going to go back to what you were saying, the standard in Hawaii for MMA is great, but Australia is better. Mm-hmm. The fighter here are, is better. It's because they're not as stressed. When you come from America, you have fighters that are worried about how they're going to feed their families, how they're going to be a father, how they're going to be a mother. Over here, it's a little more relaxed. The jobs are better. Fighters think better over here. They're mm-hmm. just happy. Mm-hmm. When, when I'm fighting over in, 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 in the States, I'm aggro. I'm, you know, I have a lot of anxiety. When I'm getting, when I, you know, you know, my song's playing and I walk into the cage here, I'm just thinking about a fight. And I'm not even mad at the other guy. But when I'm in the States and I'm doing my boxing and things like that, you got to have that prowess. You got to have that bravado. It's all about who you are, and I got to carry that reputation because I won a national championship. I got a little bit of a history in America, mm-hmm. and if I go into a new venture, because people in America don't really know that I'm fighting the way they do here. Mm-hmm. So when I go back, it's like, oh, okay, let's see what he can do. Mm-hmm. And if you lose, well, it's different than it is in here. People re- here, they really love if you have a crack. Mm-hmm. If you lose in America, <laughs> too yeah. old to be doing it anyway. What, what are you doing? Yeah, you know sure. that kind of thing. So yeah. I was glad. I was glad to be back here in the fact that um, I know where I'm going and I know uh, uh, where my focus is going to be. But coming from America, I can definitely see the two cultures are are just vastly different. Your diet while you're in Hawaii, mm. you let that go a little bit. Oh, did I ever <laughs> went to the portion sizes? The portion size in America, you can have one plate and that'll probably feed a family of five. Okay. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So I, I couldn't even finish a whole plate when I was there before. By the time I got back, I was weighing 92 when I got to the States. When I got back, I was almost 114. I was about almost, I was 113 kilos. Mm. I mean, I'm back down to about uh, 95 now. I put on so much weight. And I had so much fun, and the food is so terrible for you. Yeah. But it tastes so good. So you're sporting a foot injury at the moment. So and you, yeah, you could I, you you said you could fight on it, yep. but you 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 feel like you don't want to put the put the time and energy in if you're not a hundred percent that that you want to be right before the fight because you want to win and you don't yeah. want any excuses. Every athlete plays hurt. If you, mm. if you're really an athlete and you're worth your salt, you're never a hundred percent anyway. But you got to go out and perform. I've had injuries from basketball that I've never really even taken care of. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, I'm going into MMA 
and I got injuries from that. So I just really want to take some time, heal up, and when I come back next year, I'm going to be turning some heads. Yeah. And that's going to be because I'm knocking people out. I, mm. I have a mentality now that I don't hate the person, but I want to compete. I want to win. And in order to win, I have to destroy my, my opponent. And then I'll pick him up and we can, we can hug and mm. have a beer later maybe. If you get back to the way you looked in the fight, um, where you got the 11 second knockout you'll be doing all right because it it got some international coverage from some commentators that yes. are hard to earn the respect of so boss you... roots and said my name you know mm. and he's he said oh you know he's threw a good straight punch and i was like wow if you get a compliment by boss root and i could probably retire after that really i i was on mma insider uh thanks to justin lawrence he got me on that uh he got that clip on that show and it just got international attention. So, um, and he, he made the comment at forty six. They they almost sounded jealous of how worked you looked at the at the time. So I'll put up some videos of your fights so people see and hear that comment. I'll play the audio. Thanks, of it. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So you had that knockout. There's also a moment in your history that in recent history that was a sad time for you. Yep. Because you sadly lost your brother to cancer. Yeah. And uh, you dedicated a fight to him. Do you want to talk about that fight? And Well, there's actually two fights I could talk about. Um, I, Matt Walton, he uh, wanted me to have that fight for my brother. It was for Hickey West. and uh, But prior to that, I had a fight with James Bakke. Mm -hmm. And I remember my brother had gone into uh, critical, and uh, he was about to pass away, and they just told me that. It was the night of the fight. Hadn't eaten for three days, hadn't slept for probably two, very dehydrated. I did my weight cut. I didn't make my weight cut. I was supposed to weigh in in 84 and um, weighed in 86. And I was just, just emaciated and uh, got into the fight. I was doing really well. Uh, he got me in a chokehold, probably had, a cho had me in a chokehold for probably a good 10 seconds. I reversed it on him, stood up, passed out. Yeah, and it's got some like 1.4 million views. It's so funny. People are looking like the Star Wars, like the Force was pushing me or something like that. But uh, then I went on and um, I but fought. It, that's isn't there something if you get up quickly in that situation that the blood does something rushes. Yeah, and I think that's what happened. I mean, I I got checked. Uh, Matt Walton was amazing. XFC was amazing. They made sure that I got to the hospital. Everything, all the checks mm. were done. Um, and I'm forever indebted to Matt and Justin for that. Mostly Matt at that time because he owned XFC. But um, I got all the checks, and uh, it just it it just happened because it was it was meant to happen. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. I didn't have any food in my system, and he put James Bakke. He ended up becoming a, a champion. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's kind of funny. All these people I fought, they become champions later. So I'm like their their stepping stone. <laughs> but um, you know, so then I, I fought uh, Hickey West, then for, for for my dedication to my brother, and I ended up beating him in the in the first round. And I remember Matt Walton came to me and Hickey West had talked to him because I beat him by a rear naked choke submission, and he said that was one of the strongest submissions that he had ever felt because I you know he passed out, mm. and um, I had such a, a passion about me because it was my brother. But 
sadly you were dedicating that event to yep. your brother, yep. but he had a plan for that night and you ruined that as well. Yeah, so, well... It, it, well, not ruined it, but... Yeah, well, it didn't go as planned, planned. because um, Hickey had wanted to propose. I'm sure in his mind he thought he was going to win. I thought I was going to win. He, mm. he might have won, you know, mm. but he was going to um, propose to his fiance. And uh, I didn't really have a chance to say, hey, this is for my brother and things like that. But I actually got to uh, talk to Hickey West after that. And I said, hey, that's amazing that you've uh, dedicated your life and the rest of your life to to your wife and things like that. So I think that's fitting. So let's talk a little bit about faith, because I know that you're a man of faith. You do get in the hot water sometimes for your beliefs. You, you're big on conviction. Yes. And, and having conviction and we discussed over the phone that, you know, people's truths, I believe, are their own truths. So yes. I don't sit in judgment of what you believe. And you have the same approach. You voice your opinion, but you mm-hmm. don't expect everyone to necessarily believe it. You'd like them to believe it, but at the same time, it's on them, but you know what you believe. And I think that's a big misconception because everything I, I, I come from is from Scripture. Mm. It's not Mike said. You know, yes. these are things that... I believe that are in the Bible that is the testimony of Christ mm-hmm. and and that, you know, the Ten Commandments, which are the laws that govern heaven, and they also uh, make up the character of, of God, mm. you know? And if you thought about it, if you really think about it, if we all went by the Ten Commandments, would we even need to lock our door? It, it's interesting you say that because I had an argument on a train mm. probably three decades ago heading mm. to university, mm. and it was with a schoolmate or whatever, yeah. uh, who was studying law. And I actually argued the same thing. I said, you know, if everyone just followed the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't need you. And he's <laughs> exactly. Like, and he's like, oh, yeah, you would. Right? And I'm like, no, think about it. Think of what those ten things state. Mm-hmm. Most laws that are broken are all around those ten things, like as simply as they're stated. And yep. so I didn't really get the answer before when we were talking and I asked you about your journey uh, and you didn't really want to touch on your NBA experience, but there was a stint where you knocked on the door of the NBA. Do you yeah. want to talk about that? So that was 1999. I had, um, in 98, I got the MVP for Burdekin, and then I got some tryouts for the USBL back then in the day. That was uh, before they had the D League and the mm-hmm. G League now. And um, I went and tried out, and I was playing with people like Hubert Davis, Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki's first year. Um, I remember Rodman came for his year. He only lasted like two or three months before they kicked him out. But um, so, was, which club? Dallas Mavericks. Oh yeah, so, yeah. yeah one is Nowitzki or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> and um, I was there for about six months, and I got to hang and got to talk to people. I actually got to talk. You know, I gave uh, some chocolate macadamia nuts to uh, Dirk Nowitzki and uh, Steve Nash, mm-hmm. and I got to play with Steve Nash for a lot of his scrimmages. All you got to do is run the floor. That man will find you. He was mm. amazing to play with. Dirk Nowitzki was unguardable. And um, I remember it came down to myself, this guy named Pete Foster, uh, Pete Philo, and uh, this other guy named Robert Foster. And they said, uh, it's between you three. Whoever plays the best, you got the spot. And I think it was too much for me. I choked mm. totally. I just, not choked, but... They just took it to another level that I'd been playing pretty well. I was hitting my threes. I was blocking shots, rebounding, and they just took it to another level. And that's the level of NBA. Mm. You know, you can train down here, but if you can't play up here, you know, that's fine. I was happy to walk away at that point. But I never really made a big deal about it. I never even told 
people back in Hawaii, I was getting the tryouts or anything. I just was thinking, oh, if I make it, what a big surprise. So mm. when I didn't make it, I didn't go, I didn't, uh, I didn't say much about it. We'll talk a little bit about family because you said the McDaniel name means a lot to you. And it's everything. Do yep. you want to talk about the family? Well, yeah. Well, Vicky Foran mm-hmm. is uh, Savannah's mother. We met in uh, 2000. She played for the women's team, and I played for the men's team. Um, and she was a great basketball player. At one point, she had AIS, want her to come down and be a part of their uh, a program, but she wasn't leaving home. She's like, nah, I'm not leaving home. So they came up, and they created an AIS satellite program just based around Vicky Foran. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, t- that, you know, and then you look at the foreign family Lorraine Foreign she does public speaking and the whole family's really respectable and um, they are uh, especially they're a cornerstone pretty much in the Corona Downs area mm-hmm. so um, then you have Savannah then we had Savannah we had Savannah in 2005 so your oldest yes yeah, Savannah's 14 now and uh, we had uh, we had her in 2005 and I'll tell you what she was on the plane with us Vicky Vicky played until she was about seven months pregnant. <laughs> mm. That girl just, that she just loved to play, and she was so competitive. The coach finally had to say, look, you're not playing. You yeah. know what I mean? So um, That's interesting because in my program, I, I, when I got my insurance, I had to create a, a risk mitigation yes, strategy and yes. everything for, to, to hand to the insurance. And one of the policies that I was required to have is actually a pregnancy policy. And at the time, okay. yeah, yeah, you have to have something in place around management of that. Obviously, there's other policies like sexual harassment, drugs, oh, yeah. alcohol. Yep. They, they want everything. So I have that document produced today. But um, that was one that I, I'd never in a million years considered. Um, but obviously, it's a reality, and that's a demonstration of it. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. I mean, that shows our age. I mean, probably if they'd had that back in the day, Vicky would have probably had to stay, you know, after about three months, you probably had to stop playing. But that just shows her competitiveness mm. and, and her drive and love for the game. And um, and then she just transferred that, sort of transferred that into Savannah. I think what Vicky's done with Savannah is she's sort of, she showed what mothers have to do in order to get their children to be successful. And it's not about being successful and being famous and all that. It's just about the commitment doing what you say you're going to do, following through. That's why Savannah's done so well because she has those three, three you know, th- those are very important things to have. Mm. And um, So she's she's having a little bit of success at the moment. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah, she. I'll tell you what. So she just, uh, Here There Be Monsters, it's a, it's a horror film. It's a 10-minute horror film. She got the best actress, mm-hmm. uh, actor. I'm still not yeah. good with that stuff. <laughs> um, it's been around the world. It's been to Europe. It's been all through the mainland part of the United States, all around Australia. Um, and now she's had a uh, Brisbane festival, and all three show, shows were sold out. And she's just having an amazing time, but she works really hard. I'll give you I'll give you the difference between Savannah and most kids. I remember so she was about nine years old, maybe seven. And the you know, the kids were like they were shooting a YMCA uh commercial at two o'clock in the morning. And they're like, Okay, wake up and the kids were like, Oh, I just wanna go home and Savannah was like, Where's my mark? Is my hair okay? Where am I supposed to be at? Mm. And I'm I'm like, you're seven, Mm. you know, at two o'clock in the morning. She loves the industry. She went to LA 
all the industry moguls wanted to get a piece of her. They like, they were like, they were calling Vicky, get me in sideways. I want to be the last meeting that we have. She was walking up to modeling agencies mm. and all these models were out there with their resume and they're like trying to get in. Hey, come out and you know, I'm the next thing. So the next thing you know, um, Savannah and Vicky pull up and the lady Gilchrist comes out. She goes, Savannah, oh my gosh. And everybody just goes, and Savannah's just sort of walking and all in all between these people. So they have the meeting. Savannah calls me about an hour later. She goes, Dad, I came out and these people are just crying and saying, I don't know who you are and you look like somebody. Can I get a picture with you? And she was, I didn't know what to do and da 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 da. She has a bright future. And I'll tell you why. Because her mother has raised her to be a lady. Mm. Her mother is raised her to work hard to be committed to what you say you're going to be and i have my talks with her too do you know what i mean sure but you tear up when you say that i love my children man and i don't i don't get a lot of time with them man you know Mm. i it is what it is nowadays you know it it uh everybody's doing what they got to do yeah but yeah, you got a young younger daughter too. What's what makes her special? And in, and in, in... she's stubborn. <laughs> she, she's I. So she's from what I know, she's um, you know, she's doing gymnast gymnastics, and she's training with the older kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And she never wants to be that younger kid. She always wants to be. If she's six, she wants to be with the nine or ten year olders. That's exactly how I was. The yeah. mother, uh, her name is Chloe Hutchison. And she was a great athlete back in the day. She was a good basketball player. And um, obviously, I was uh, attracted to women that were uh, that had a good athletic prowess, mm. and they're also smart women. Mm. So um, it's 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 kind of crazy because even though we don't get along and we can never be together, I still appreciate what they do for my children and uh, the 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 path and and the, the moral fiber that they're that they're being ingested with. I love it. Mm. So and and you're out doing your thing. So I'm imagining that the girls um, get to see their dad on YouTube or wherever they get to see you. Yep. And uh, even on on this, we give them a yeah. shout out at the. You end know what's funny like. though? It's like so Savannah. She you know she's done like she's done uh, speeding ads and she's done one recently was uh, for that speeding ad where um, she comes up to the guy and says, you know, uh, you know you're feeding, you know you were speeding, and the guy says, well, I wasn't speeding fast or whatever she goes well fast enough to kill me and that's been on national tv that's been on the boards and the thing about her man is she she just has a way of getting in the moment she's an old soul man she really Mm -hmm. is i was having conversations when she was two years old and i would just tell her about my day oh daddy had to talk to this guy and she was like well did you try this or did you try that i mean two or three years old so she's always been that way she always she has a mark in this world. My daughters have a mark in this world that they haven't made yet, but it's waiting to be made. Mm. And that comes down to something that maybe you've instilled in them around your name is that one thing you mentioned to me yesterday is that all your all the McDaniels, they had this thing about making the McDaniel name proud, like being yes. proud of your, your name. And that was something that was important that what you did was a measure of who you are as a family. So you are yeah. a McDaniel is, is how you put it. Well, to if me. you think about it, African-Americans didn't have much, mm-hmm. all you had was your name. Mm-hmm. So 
everything was important. You know, my father would be like, don't you go out and embarrass my name. Mm-hmm. Don't you go out and embarrass this family, you know, which I've done. Mm. <laughs> Who hasn't? Yeah, <laughs> but it, that that was the standard. And um, I used to love working hard because when you work hard, you get great results. And part of I, I loved being a McDaniel because the McDaniels were known for good athletes. Mm. My father went to University of Rhode Island. He uh, he uh, was inducted into the Hall of Fame. I've been inducted into the Hall of Fame for uh, basketball, the Hawaii Pacific. My sister retired her number, as I said before. My brother was a great athlete. My mm. mom, she could play some crazy tennis. Because you said your dad uh, could have played NFL but chose the military. He could play for the Cleveland Browns. Mm. And um, But if you think about it, back in the 60s, you know, they would have been paid, what, $50,000 for a year. I mean, in how many years? And then you get banged up and things like that. My father made a really good choice because not only did the military offer him a career, but it offered his children and his family a perspective that they wouldn't have been able to achieve. Mm. Living in America, never leaving America, and only seeing that that angle, that viewpoint. He got up into the highest ranks in the military. Lieutenant Colonel. And and that's one of, you can count the number. He was, I think he was one of seven. And it was 1977, I remember. Mm. He was doing a German speech to a to the to the army to the German army. I think it was in Frankfurt, mm. or just uh, in a town off of Frankfurt, and he did the whole speech. And I remember because he was practicing in front of us the whole week, mm-hmm. and it was flawless and perfect. And I remember I was so nervous for him because when he was doing it to us, he was messing up his words. Mm. And but when he did it, when he was on point, and it's something about when the lights on, we perform. You went and won the championship playing in NAIA um, in Hawaii, but you studied psychology. So yep. in, in, a, in a sense, you're, you had a tool there that some athletes haven't had, which is the concept of understanding um, the mind and things like that. How have you applied what you learned at university to your own understanding and, and the way you've lived your life? I don't think I was able to apply it at certain moments in my life, but I think when you retrospectively look back at things, then you can apply those things because mm. not only do you understand life, but you understand the concepts that you were given during the college to be able to apply them. So I understand it now. So I don't know. I was emotional mm. <laughs> whenever I played. I mean, you know. I saw. Yeah. I played with my heart on my sleeve, and it was it was a it was zero to a hundred from the time I got out of the locker room to the time I got back, and before I got into the cage, I used to say, if I was back in the day and I was a warrior, I would have been a gladiator. Yeah. I used to say that, but I don't have that arena anymore. So yeah, sure, yeah, it's um, interesting. I think the scariest moment I've ever had in basketball, or one, there's probably a couple that come to mind around teammates, but. Um, no, the no. short stint with you was was it was an eye opener because you are uh, and present as such a casual and relaxed guy. So it meant that much to you. And yes, being a competitor, it's not surprising that being in the MMA that you are in it to win it. Well, here I love the Australian culture because I remember I had games here and we'd lose games and I'd go in and people were like, hey, mate, good job. You know, you'll get them next time. You don't get that in America. Mm. You you have a bad game. You're a bum. 
you're like, man, you, you, you got a scholarship for playing basketball. My grandmother could have got that scholarship. That kind of thing, man. Mm. So, But you were, you were a journeyman, but one of the reasons you were a journeyman with a couple of the clubs is because you were looking for a winning culture. Yes. And and some of those clubs, you would be on the road, you you set off camera, camera and guys would you know, lose a game on, on a particular night. You might have one or two games ahead of you on the weekend. They're all out drinking. Straight into the cartons. And, and you're like, what are you guys doing? We've got two more games ahead of us and we just lost this one. What are you doing? And, yep. and, and internally, you're like, I can't be part of this culture because mm. this isn't me. So, but I've also helped to change it. I remember we were playing for Burdekin and that happened. We were coming mm. back from Cairns and we had been on a... We played Cairns, and we were supposed to play uh, Townsville, and then we were going to go and play Mackay. And they were drinking on the first night, and I just just went off. Hmm. I was like, I'm out here. I know you guys only train twice a week, but I'm out here six days a week in the weight room, shooting, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And they were like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. And we got in a little bit of a heated argument. But it's funny because it bonded us. And I noticed by the next game, no drinking. Next road trip, no drinking until the last game. Well, if they saw a little bit of what I saw, <laughs> I don't think I think I'd be putting away yeah. the drinks. My too. mindset was, I've come all the way from Hawaii mm. to come and win. Yeah, and I can't win without you. Mm. You know, so yeah. Yeah, you would have come into a culture, and that would have been the culture, and still has is for some of the the trips. It's yes. um, almost like Las Vegas with some of those trips is what happens on those trips stays on those, yes, those yes, trips you probably yep. had a few basketball is a fun culture but you know you have to put your priorities first mm. that's and that's all everything's relevant like that yeah i really appreciate you coming in and sharing your story with us we've covered a lot today i'll let you do a quick shout out to your daughters i want to say savannah you're killing it here they be monsters it's all sold out Ooh, la is coming i'm telling you i'm so proud of you willow i'm gonna see you soon you know, God's not going to keep us apart. I think time heals everything. And uh, I'm so proud of you. And uh, I'll see, Daddy's going to see you soon. Thanks for your time, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking time to watch this video. If you enjoyed what you saw, please give it a thumbs up. If you haven't yet subscribed, make sure you smash that subscribe button and also hit the bell button to get notified when new interviews are uploaded. Once again, thanks for joining us. And hopefully we'll see you again sometime. Catch you later.